Glad that we're here. We're going to open the Word together. We're going to worship together. And we're just, uh, as, as Alan said, be expectant of what God might be wanting to, to speak into our lives uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible, go on and open up to Genesis chapter 35. If you need a Bible, you got some people walking around, just slip up a hand and they'll get you a Bible so you can follow along with us there in Genesis 35. So the beginning of the year is, is uh, kind of universally sort of a reset moment for a lot of people. I mean, they, we, we often view New Year's, New Year's Eve, New Year's resolutions as this time of just kind of pausing, of reflecting back on what the last year held, but also looking uh, with expectation of what the next year might hold. And I know for some people, you know, with, with New Year's and the idea of resolutions, like this is the things that I'm going to do this year. I'm going to commit myself to these things this year. I'm going to start working out or I'm going to change my diet or I'm going to start reading the Bible or I'm going to learn a new language, whatever it might be uh, that, that you resolve to do. And a lot of times, you know, it's the beginning of the year that we, uh, we start with a, a lot of gusto and energy and then... A week goes by, two weeks go by, that working out three times a week starts to become two times, and then one time, and then two weeks ago I worked out, uh, and we just start to, to lose that, uh, that self-professed resolve and energy that we started the year with. And so one of the hesitancies I have, even like as we kind of lead into this season of, of Watch Week and Daniel Fast, is that it would just simply be a time of like of spiritual excitement for a year that doesn't actually go anywhere. A lot of excitement that just starts something, a lot of energy, I'm going to do this, and a lot of, of, of commitment to, I'm going to change my life, and then a week, a month, two months go by, and we're kind of back into the same routines. And, and so I want to kind of reframe what this new year season might be and what God might be wanting to do. I do think it's a sacred time. I do think that there's something significant about a new year that, that we want to own and grab a hold of. In, in the Jewish culture, uh, the, the Jewish new year is actually Rosh Hashanah, and uh, it is based on the lunar calendar, if you're interested in such things. And so their new year is actually in September. And there are two significant things that they begin their new year with, with Rosh Hashanah. And the first is that first day of their new year is a giant celebration. Uh, if you've heard of the shofar, it's a, it's a hollowed out ram's horn. And they blow the shofar because God's word says, begin the year with trumpeting, with loud praise. And they spend those first few days just in celebration of what God has done, remembering who he is and who they are as his people. That leads into 10 days later, a, a festival or a, a, a sacred day called Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur marks that sacred moment at the beginning of the year that begins with celebration and ends with Yom Kippur. But Yom Kippur is actually the Day of Atonement. And in that, uh, in that Jewish culture that, that God began there with his people all the way back in giving them the law in Exodus... Well, they would set aside that first day of the year where, where the, whole, the, the, the high priest would be able to enter into the most holy place with God, the place that God's presence dwelled with his people. And in that place, he would offer atonement. 
this one time a year that he could actually go into the very presence of God and he would offer atonement or a blood sacrifice on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of sins. And so Yom Kippur, that day of atonement, became a day of deep repentance, of soul searching. God, where have we wandered away from you? Where have we lost our way? Where have we forgotten who you are and who we are because of what you've done? And so for thousands of years in this Jewish uh, culture and the worship of, of the creator God Yahweh that, that, him, that became uh, the culture in which God himself showed up in the person of Jesus, this new year that marked a time of celebration and a time of repentance was the way God set the rhythms of our heart to work with him. To remember what he's done, but then also to look ahead to what he's going to do next. And so the invitation that we don't follow a lunar calendar in our culture, uh, we begin our new year in January. And so today being the second day of our new year, I want to invite us as a church into that same sense of expectation. That same sense of rhythm, of celebration, repentance, reflection, and expectation. What are the things that you are celebrating with God as you begin this year and as you look back on the last? What are the things that God is, is calling you back to himself? That's the word repentance, to turn back. What are the things that, that you've begun to wander away or forget or lose sight of? Or the things that you've allowed to creep into your life or your heart that have either begun to, to numb out or the busyness that, that, is, that has kept you from intimacy with God, the places that you have allowed the things of this world to creep in? What are the things, not just in celebration but in repentance, but in expectation? What are the things that God is stirring up that you're looking forward to in this year to come? And my prayer for us is that we would own this moment. That we would take account. That we would write down that we would articulate and declare the things God has done and with expectation look forward to the things he has yet to do. And so it's with that that I wanted to look at this story in Genesis 35. Over that we've said uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. Uh, it's the final chapters of the book of Genesis, which we began months ago, going through the book of Genesis together. And so we will be looking at the life of Joseph, but also bringing the book of Genesis to a close as a, as a church family in our study. But before we get into the life of Joseph, I wanted to set up his story, because his story finds itself in a larger story. So I'm going to read Genesis 35, and then we're going to look back on this story and see how it might be speaking in to our lives today. This is a story about Jacob, who's actually Joseph's father. Jacob, who is the one to become Israel. Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. 
And God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had had and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Lutz, that is Bethel, that which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. That may seem like a random story. I mean, it fits into our timeline of where we've been in the book of Genesis for the last several months. But though if you're new to grace, it feels like just a random pull from the Bible. Genesis 35. But the main point, I think, of this story, which is the main point I want us to get this morning, is that we need to go back to the places of encounter with God. We need to go back to the places of encounter with God. And it is in those places that God reminds us of what he has done and prepares us to move forward into what he has for us next. So what do we see in Genesis 35? And the first is simply this, is that we are part of a much bigger story. Jacob was a part of a much bigger story. As I said, he was the grandson of Abraham. And when God is calling Jacob in this moment to go back to a place called Bethel, it's not the first time that Bethel has been mentioned. It's not the first time that Bethel has shown up in his life. And it's not the first time Bethel has shown up in his family's life. In fact, the first place that we find out about Bethel is in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12 is that pinnacle moment when God calls aside a man named Abram and his wife Sarai, and he says to them, I am going to bless you that you might be a blessing to the nations. That from your womb is going to become, from your seed is going to become one that will be the deliverance of the world. The blessing of the world will come through you. It was in Genesis chapter 12 that in all of the chaos and the craziness of this broken world, a world that had rebelled against God, that God calls forth a man and his wife and says, through your family, I'm going to enact a plan that's going to bring about the redemption and the salvation of the world. 
in a barren family that had no hope of children, God said, I'm going to do a miracle in you that is going to change everything for everyone for eternity. And in that place, God, the first place that God leads Abraham after taking him out of the land of his father and setting him on a new path, beginning a new journey with him and giving him a new identity and a new sense of destiny is to a place called Bethel. And it's actually in Bethel that for the first time it says that Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Up to that point, there was uh, several different occasions that the Lord had called on the name of Abram. That God had spoken into Abram's life, had led and directed Abram forward, had called him out and moved him along. But for the first time in that place called Bethel, Abram calls on God. And we see that God's intention isn't just to decree his commands. God's intention is to have relationship with his people. And what we find, this reminder, that God's plan from the very beginning, going all the way back to Eden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, is to form for himself a family with whom he can dwell. That that is the mission of God. God's mission on this planet is to form for himself a family with whom he can dwell. That was his intent with Adam and Eve, was to dwell, to walk with them in the garden, to, 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 for them to be, brute, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion and steward the earth, to know God and God to inhabit the place where they dwelled and to take his goodness out to the ends of the earth. God desires a family with whom he can dwell intimate, deep relationship with his people. Now, we forgot that along the way, and everyone went their own, made themselves God and, and decided to, to, to live life on their own terms, but God's mission never changed. And so when God calls Abram and Sarai, it's the same call as Adam and Eve. I am going to form a family with whom I can dwell. As God multiplies the children of Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to the 12 sons that become tribes and they move their, make their way into to Egypt and then they're multiplied out and to the thousands upon thousands, God's desire never changed. I am going to create for myself a family with whom I can dwell. And so thousands of years later, when God himself becomes a human and takes on flesh and dwells among us, the person Jesus, his intent never changed to create for himself a family with whom he could dwell. And so Jesus began to, to gather a group of disciples around him, a different kind of family to share life together, to learn together, to discover God together, to walk through this world together. And then even as Jesus was leaving to ascend at, back up to the Father, to take his rightful place as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, having gone to the cross and risen again, the, the new, bringing new life, can, reconnected to God, that in that upper room as God pours out his Holy Spirit on his people, his mission never changed to create for himself a family with whom he could dwell. And so in Acts, when the church was born, filled by the Spirit, following the ways of Jesus and sharing that good news around the world, God's mission was the same. And so here we are 2,000 years later, 
And what is God's mission for us? What is it? I've already told you like 20 times. To create a family with whom he can dwell. God is not just interested in your personal, individual, devotional life. God is not just concerned about your individual sins and struggles. What God is doing is fashioning and forming for himself a family. It's why 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we can be called children of God. That we are brothers and sisters with one Father. That we are being formed into a family with whom God can dwell. What would that change for our expectation of church? What would that change for our expectation when we sit around the living room uh, or the kitchen table or when we gather in our living rooms or we meet up in our office places or at our schools, when we gather as brothers and sisters, that this idea, this expectation that what God is doing in this place is he's forming for himself a family and all of the mess and chaos that family means with whom he can dwell. The living, active, present, and powerful God of this universe who wants to be just as real in our relationships and in our lives as the person sitting next to you. Do you believe that? That's what we've been adopted into. That's what we're being called into. And so Genesis 35, when God is calling Jacob back to this place of Bethel, what he's reminding him in part is, you are a part of a much larger story. Your life is a part of a much larger story that didn't begin with you, and it doesn't end with you. And maybe the reminder for us this morning, January 2nd, 2022, is that you and I are a part of a much larger story that didn't begin when you were born, and it doesn't end when you die. We are caught up in the story of the mission of God, just as Jacob was. But not only are we a part of a bigger story, but God is at work in our own personal story as well. We find our place, our sense of meaning and purpose and calling in this much larger story of what God is doing in the world that he's been doing since the dawn of creation. But also, maybe this January 2nd, 2022, we need to remember the ways that God has been actively at work in our story. Remember I said that Bethel, the first time it's mentioned, is actually in Jacob's grandfather's journey out of his father's household into this new calling and identity that he's placed on Abraham. But this isn't actually the first time that Jacob's been to Bethel. The first time that Jacob went to Bethel that is mentioned for us is actually Genesis 28. If you want to flip there, it's a pretty well-known story. Jacob had left Beersheba, the place that he was dwelling, and he went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place. Now, at this point, we don't know what that certain place is. It's just a certain place. And he stayed there that night because the sun had set. It's usually a good reason to stay somewhere. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. 
Like, if you ever think your life is hard, just go back to this story. You're not sleeping with a stone as a pillow. So I, I just, I think that we begin to get a sense of expectation of like what he was used to. But he's resting in this certain place. He has a stone as a pillow. And in that place, he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Have we heard that before? Yeah, it's the exact word God had given his grandfather, Abraham. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took that stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Lutz at the first. And Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. It was in that place of Bethel that years before that Jacob had had a dream that God revealed himself to him for the, very, for the first time in a personal way for Jacob. But go back to Genesis 35. Make an altar there in Bethel to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. This is what's important. The Jacob's Ladder story is an easy story to remember for the sake that God shows up in a powerful way. I mean, God gives him a dream, a vision of the angels descending back and forth between heaven and the Lord God standing there beside that ladder, overseeing what, what the angels are doing as they go back and forth from heaven to earth. That Jacob caught up in this heavenly divine moment, says, surely this is the place that God dwells, and I didn't even recognize it. This, this epic mountaintop moment with God. But what's easy to forget is that epic mountaintop moment with God actually came at one of the lowest points of Jacob's life. When all of his scheming and deceit, the ways that he had undermined his brother and his family, had all come crashing down around him. And now he was fleeing for his life, afraid that Esau, his brother, was going to kill him because he'd stolen Esau's blessing. Jacob, completely alone, probably scared to death, uncertain of the future, having burned the bridges of his past, not knowing what was in front of him, and in that place of fear and uncertainty is where God shows up. 
And so when God takes him back to Bethel, God is reminding him, making sure he remembers, it wasn't just the place I showed up for you. It was the place that I showed up for you in your lowest moment when you were fleeing your brother Esau. Don't forget that part of it. In fact, when he talks about it later in a couple of verses, so remind him again, yes, the place where you were fleeing from Esau, that's where I showed up. So what does that have to do with us this morning? I don't know what your last year held. I don't know what you carried in here this morning. The places of fear, of loneliness, of insecurity and anxiety, the places of trauma or wounding, the places of disappointment and discouragement, the place that your own shame has maybe created problems in your life, or the maybe the places that other people's choices have wounded and affected you. But we all walk in these doors carrying our own baggage. And maybe this past year, the last two years, have been, you could even say, the lowest moments of your life. Or maybe they've just been difficult. But God reminds us that it is in precisely those places that he desires to show up. To reveal himself in a fresh way. To remind us of who we are and who we belong to. Of the work that he is carrying out regardless of our circumstances. That he is at work. Not just are we a part of a bigger story, but he is at work in our story. And to remember, to, to look back and to name both the high points, the celebrations, and the hard times. Those lowest moments and ask, God, where is your hand at work in all of them? And so as God is calling Jacob back to this place of encounter, he's reminding him that you are part of a bigger story, and he's reminding him that he, that he has faithfully been at work in his story. And then in that place of encounter, God begins a new work in Jacob. God appeared to Jacob again, verse 9, when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob, but no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. In that place of encounter with God, the first thing God does is changes his name, gives him a new identity. And in the same way, maybe as you begin this year and God is bringing you back into that place of encounter, remembering that you're a part of a much larger story than simply your life, and remembering that God has been faithfully at work in your story in the high points and in the low points. And maybe in that place of encounter, as we enter into Watch Week, as Alan said, as we take our hour of prayer, or multiple hours in the middle of the night or in the afternoon, as we begin this Daniel fast together, in that space, in that place of encounter with God, maybe what God is needing to do for you is to remind you who you are. Who you are to Him. Your true identity. You see, all of us begin to take on names from the world around us. All of us were obviously born with a name. We talk about this a lot at Grace, that you have your given name, this place on your birth certificate, and there's all kinds of reasons that your parents gave you the name that you carry with you. Some of you are named after somebody in your family. Some of you are named after your mom's favorite soap opera character. 
I don't know why you were named what you're named. They just liked that name. They always wanted a child named whatever. And so that name got written down on a birth certificate, and that's what you've been called ever since. But names in the Bible carry a much deeper sense of significance. It's not just simply what you're known as. It actually begins to shape and form the expectation of your life. It carries with it more than just uh, a... a, um, a call, it's also an identity. Like, this is who you are, not just what you're known as. But what we see over and over again in the Bible is God changing people's name, changing their identity. And in fact, he's not giving them a new name. He's actually revealing their true name. That when God knit Jacob together in his mother's womb, when he looked at that little baby boy, and he knew all of the treachery and the deceit, the lying and the running away, the selfishness, that he named that child Israel. That you are going to be the one that reveals God to the world. And so when God shows up and, and gives Jacob a new name, Israel, all he's actually doing is revealing the name that he had planted in Israel's soul from the time that he knit him together. And in the same way, you have a name that you've been called that's on your birth certificate. But there is also a name that God has called you from the time that he knit you together in your mother's womb. And there's not just the names that you've been called on your birth certificate. There's also names that you maybe have called yourself. Identities that you've taken on. Or maybe they're names that other people have called you that you've just assumed for yourself. I'm an idiot. Loser. Failure, forgotten, abandoned, victim. I don't know what names that you've called yourself or even this morning when you looked in the mirror and you said, man, I am such a fill-in-the-blank. And maybe those names you don't even recognize you call yourself that anymore. It's just become such a repeating refrain in your head. It's just the white noise that surrounds your life. And maybe one of the things that God is wanting to do is he leads you into a place of fresh encounter, reminding you that you're a part of a much bigger story and reminding you that he's been at work from the beginning of your story is revealing who you are to him. When he looks at you, when he put you together, when he envisioned every day of your life before one of them would come to pass, who does God say that you are? Who are you to him? God doesn't just remind or give in this place of encounter Jacob his true identity of Israel. No, you will no longer simply be the one who grasps, but you will be the one who has wrestled with, encountered God. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. God doesn't just simply reveal who he is, but also reminds him of who God is. And so maybe in this place of fresh encounter for the year, you not only do you need to hear from God in a new way who you are to him, but maybe you need to remember who he is for you. The powerful one, the provider, our sustainer, the God of breakthrough, the God who sees me, the God who hears me, 
the, God of, the creator God of this universe, the God who reigns over everything in heaven and on earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the God who holds all things together and sustains everything by his word, God who is holy and set apart, God whose wisdom is higher than ours, God who knows everything, can do anything, the God of the miraculous. Maybe you don't need to just remember who you are. You need to remember who you belong to. You are now Israel, and I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your body. Not only does God reveal who, who Jacob, Israel is, and God remind Israel who he is, but he also clarifies the unique call on Jacob's life. This is who I made you to be, and this is what I'm calling you to do. And so maybe for you, in this place of encounter as we begin 2022, it's not just simply creating space to hear from God who you are to him, who he is for you, but also what is the unique call of God on your life? What, is God, what good works has God prepared in advance for you to do? What does God have in store for you this year that he wants to give you a glimpse of, that he wants to give you courage for? What are the things that he is wanting to birth out of your life? To create, to form, to step into, to be courageous, to pioneer, to lead, to surrender. And what is Jacob, who is now Israel's response? It's the same response that he had the first time he encountered God in Bethel. He sets up a stone as a permanent marker of what God has done and what God has said. He marks the moment. When we look at Watch Week, it's not just simply creating space for an hour to come be with God or more throughout the week. Daniel fast isn't just about denying our earthly appetites and fasting to increase our hunger for God. It is about marking a moment of what God is saying into your life, into your identity, into your calling and destiny. And, and grabbing a hold of this bigger picture that God is beginning a personal renewal in you, that God is also continuing his mission of creating for himself a people with whom he can dwell. And you would think that after this Bethel moment with God, this place of encounter, God clarifying identity, revealing, reminding of who he is, and clarifying destiny, that it would just be smooth sailing from this point for Jacob, who is now Israel. But what happens next in the story are actually some of the most painful moments in Jacob's life. His beloved wife dies. That's the very next thing that happens. His oldest son betrays him in an incredibly painful and shameful way. That's the next thing that happens. And it's almost as if God knew you're going to go through some really hard things where you're going to grieve and you're going to feel lost and you're going to struggle as a father, as a husband. 
and you need to remember the things that I have spoken. Look back at the pillar that you carved, the place that I showed up, and remember what I said. Bethel isn't just simply to lift you up on the mountain so you feel good for a moment. Bethel is a reminder so that when we hit those low points again, and they will come, the places of grief and loss and struggle and anxiety and pain, we keep looking back to the things that God revealed and the things that God spoke. And so Watch Week becomes this marker moment in time of remembering what God does and looking forward in expectation to what God has next so that when we hit those hard moments, we have something to hold on to. And we're not just floating in the wind. Everything hinges on the availability of the Spirit of God. Everything hinges on holding fast to His Word. We are just waves blown around in a sea. I am God. I am the Lord, God says. What does God need to remind you of of who he is? And I just wonder for Jacob, who became Israel, as he goes through the final years of his life and deals with some of the greatest difficulty of his life, how many times he had to stand there with God and remember. How many times maybe he went back and stood in front of that pillar and said, God, this is who I am. God, this is who you are. God, this is what you've called me. And God, this is what you've made me to do. I will remain faithful. And I wonder how many times he walked with his son and specifically one son named Joshua who happened to be the first, Joseph, sorry, who happened to be the first son born of his beloved wife. And he told him the stories. His places of sin and struggle and failure when he fled from his brother, when he deceived his family, and when God showed up about the dream that he had and the way God reminded him of that dream. And I wonder, as we get into next week, how many times in Joseph's life he held on to the stories of his father, of a God who sustained him, even when it seemed like everything was lost, of a God who was available, even when he felt completely forgotten. And how much of Joseph's faith that we celebrate and we look to him as a man who just is the epitome of trusting God in the, in the hardest, most difficult circumstances. And I wonder how much of Joseph's faith became, came, was formed by those walks and talks with his father because what God had done in Jacob's life. So maybe the things that God is wanting to speak and show you, reveal to you as he's leading us in, back into this place of encounter with him isn't just for you. Maybe it's for your kids. Maybe it's for the people you disciple. Maybe it's for your students your employees, for the next generation. What is God wanting to speak to you this year? Because his desire is to lead us back into a place of encounter. So yesterday... Sadie and I, with our kids, sat around the kitchen table last night as we had our final good meal before the Daniel fast. And we, every year for the last eight, nine years, we've, we've done this exercise. And it's in this, uh, this Watch Week journal that you can grab 
on the way out the door if you haven't gotten one already. Where we simply just walk, we just talk together and kind of walk through the, the last year together. And we name our celebrations. What are the good things we've seen God do this past year? And what is amazing, and we often use our iPhone as the, the photos on our iPhone to even remember what all happened this past year. And we'll pull out our calendars and, and look back and begin to just name what were the good things that we're celebrating from this past year. And we are always amazed, even after some of what we would have named as some of the hardest years that we've gone through, uh, at how many things show up in this first quadrant of things that we were thankful for that God did in the past year. Because it's so easy to forget. Then we take some time and we talk about what were the things that, that were hard but good. We wouldn't necessarily have chosen to go through them, but after we look back on them, we realize that, that was actually a good thing that we went through. And so we named that with our kids. Maybe it was difficulty at school or with a particular friend or on their soccer team. Le- things that we had to wrestle through as a family. And then we go and we name things. Well, what are the things that you look back on this past year that just make you sad? That honestly you just wish didn't happen. Things that we're grieving or we regret. Things that hurt our hearts to think about. And we'll name those. And this is honestly the part where my, my boys, uh, just to be honest, where my boys start to get like real uh, frantic, like, like real um, antsy. And what we've realized we've begun to name for them is they don't like to name the pain. Like this is really fun, remembering the trips we've taken and the fun things that we did and the things we're thankful for. But this isn't so pleasant when we remember and we name the things that were really sad this year. People we lost, friendships that fell apart. They don't like that, but we have to tell them it is important that we name the pain just as much as it's important that we name the good. Maybe you need to remember that too. Because it's by naming that we create space for God to speak into those things. And it's in those places that we begin to ask that question, Where was the hand of God at work in all of this, the good and the bad and the difficult? And then the last quadrant is our our disappointments. What were the things that didn't happen this year that you wish had? And let me tell you this, if you do this with with kids or with younger, is the very first thing they name is always the Christmas toys they didn't get every time. We have to go back a little bit farther. What else? What else did not happen at the beginning of the year? And we actually pull out our, our, the one we did from the previous year where we wrote down. And we always end that. And this little guy here is a way of doing that. This is what we do as, just as a family. Um, there's, probably, there's all kinds of different ways to do this, but this is helpful for you all. And we just begin to name what are some things that for the next year we want to see happen. And so we'll read that from the previous years. And there'll be things that we're like, oh, yeah, we did want to do that. And we never did that. And we, we write that down in our disappointments corner. But the reason I share that with you, and we put this in the journal for you to walk through, and maybe this will be part of your time during Watch Week, is this becomes a pillar for us. Because it's in these places that we remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's what God did. Oh yeah, that's what God said. Oh, that's how God showed up. That's how he was faithful. I mean, there were miraculous, like literally, not just amazing, but literally miraculous things that happened this year that I had forgotten were this year. 
And this becomes a pillar that we hold on to. And then you'll find as you continue on in this and beginning when church ends, we'll turn this room into, into prayer stations around the room. And, and on the next pages of the journal, or sorry, on the previous pages of the journal, uh, it has different prayer prompts for each one of those prayer stations that'll just lead you through. Station one, confession. Station two, communion. Station three, creativity. It just leads you through. And as you write down, all right, Lord, what do you want me to know? What are you speaking? What am I praying into? What am I hoping for? What are you revealing? This becomes a pillar, something that we can hold on to and look back on to remember the things God has said and the things God has done. We need to go back to the places of encounter. What does God have for you this year? What did God do this last year in the pain and in the celebrations? That's what these next few days are about. Not just about getting hyped up with a bunch of resolutions, but about drawing close to the heart of the Father that wants to sustain us and go with us into the future. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship a little bit together. I invite you, if you'd like to, to come on up and, and to take communion or maybe to just get on your knees and to, to pray, to release some things to God, to begin that searching of your own heart before God, if there's anything you need to, to deal with for Him. Our prayer team will be around the room, and one of the most important things we can do is to allow somebody else to pray into the things that are heavy on our heart. So I encourage you, just go let somebody put a hand on your shoulder and just pray, whatever's going on in your heart. I just ask this question as we go into worship. How many of you have something in your life that you need prayer for? Just raise your hand. The reality is every one of you has something in your life that you need prayer for. Let me ask it a different way because that sounds way too spiritual and it's hard. What is stressing you out about next week? Like, what's the greatest point of stress or anxiety for you next week? Just, I mean, think about it, really. Like, what is the greatest point? You don't have to say it out loud, but what's the greatest point of stress for you next week? That's what you need prayer for, right? We all need God to show up for us. And so I, I encourage you. One of the most beautiful things we can do is to pray for one another. Let somebody pray for you. And so I invite you just to stand. We're going to worship and take communion. And we'll lay our hearts before God as we enter into this watch week together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we're not waiting on you. <laughs> you are present and real, living and active and immediately available for us even right now. So God, I ask, will you open our hearts to you? Will you awaken in us any place that we've gone to sleep? Will you revive any place that feels dead? Restore hope, Lord. Will you call us back to yourself? We need a Bethel moment. We need to be led back into those places of encounter. So Lord, I pray for each person here for your sons and your daughters, 
this community that you're forming into a family with whom you can dwell. God, will you call us by name? Will you lead us forward? We need you, Jesus. Amen. tell you a little secret, especially if you're doing this with younger kids. It's at this point when they start getting into the hard and the sad that our kids, our boys especially, start getting super antsy. Because it's really fun to name the fun things. It's not so fun to name the hard things. But it's just as important. It is important to name the grief. It's important to name the loss. It's important to name the failure and the struggle and the difficulty. Because the hope is, just like God reminding Jacob, is that it's in the good places and in the difficult places, in the celebrations and in the losses, that the hand of God is at work in all of it. And so we name it, and we write it down, and we ask God to teach us what is he wanting us to know from it. And then the last one is uh, disappointment. And that is, what are the things that didn't happen this year that you wish had happened? You thought this was going to be the year that we blank. This is the year that I accomplished this. This is the year. Now, I'll also give you a little family secret as well. The first thing that gets named every year is the Christmas toys they didn't get. Just go on and just tell you. That's the first thing that we name. Just making that point, Mom and Dad, that I did not get So we write those down and we celebrate them. And then the next exercise is this little person. This is the way we do it. There's probably a million better ways to do it, but this is just how we do it as a family. Where after naming the things that happened this past year, we pray and we just ask God, okay, what what do you have in store for this coming year? What do you want to see happen? What is something that you want to learn? What's something that you want to do? What areas do you want to grow? How we want to serve? And so we will just write those things down. And that actually becomes what we go back to the next year and remember. Oh, yeah, we said we wanted to do this. And so I give you that because we're trying to set you up, not just for a a good Sunday worship moment. We're trying to set you up with a Bethel moment that will sustain you for the rest of the year. Because I believe God wants to encounter you way more than you want to encounter him. That God wants to increase your appetite for him. He wants to take you into deeper places than you can't even imagine yet. He wants to wake you up in the places that you've fallen asleep. He wants to tear open the hard places in your heart to make it soft and available for him. He wants to release you from baggage that you've been carrying. He wants you to walk in freedom and forgiveness and grace. He wants you to, to, to release from you shame and condemnation that is weighing you down. He's wanting to set you up to go step forward in strength and confidence in who he's made you to be and what he's called you to do. God wants to meet you at the beginning of this year. Will you make yourself available to him? So we're going to worship, make communion available to you, although some of you will, will be doing that here in a little bit during our Watch Wake prayer time. And uh, just invite you. What does God have in store? Our prayer team will be around the sides of the room, and I encourage you 
not just to pray into things by yourself, but to let somebody pray for you. It's one of the most beautiful things that we can do as a church family is just to pray for each other. And so find somebody. Let them put their hand on your shoulder and pray for you. I've noticed, I'll be real honest, and I know I've gone a little bit long, I'm going to try to keep you here till 12 so you'll stay and continue to pray. I've noticed a reluctance in our church. This is me being super vulnerable as a pastor. Um, a reluctance to let people pray for us. And we talked about it a little bit as a, as a prayer team. It's not because we don't need prayer. In fact, just as a fun exercise, how many of you in this room, just to make each other feel better, how many of you in this room have something going on in your life that you need prayer about? Yeah, all of us. Actually, let me word that question better because that's a little bit spiritual, right? What is the thing that is stressing you out the most for next week? Think about it. What is the thing that's stressing you out the most? That's what you need prayer for. And the invitation of the family of God, the church of God, is to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another. And so when we invite people to receive prayer, it's not just a thing you're supposed to do. It's the most important thing we can do. So I encourage you, whether you want to come and get on your knees and need to be led by God into a place of repentance, or you want to go to the prayer team in the back of the room and let somebody put a hand on your shoulder, pray for whatever burden you're carrying, whatever grief you're carrying, whatever struggle you're carrying. Let's not miss out on that. God has so much more for us as a church. So go on and stand with me. And Lord Jesus, I ask, God, will you tear away any of the facades that we are carrying, any of the places that we're so desperately trying to pretend that we have it all together? God, we need you to start this year. Lord, I pray, will you speak your word that we acknowledge you are living and active. You are present and available. You're just as real in this place as we are. You give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, will you lead us into that Bethel moment, that place of encounter with you? Will you remind us of the places you've shown up in our past? Will you give us a glimpse of what you're leading us into next? God, we need you. Desperately, we need you. And it's in your name we pray.
Because death is just a toy to resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I join you.
your body and your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battle. I believe. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how in the valley. In the valley, I know that you're with me. Surely your goodness and your mercy follow me. This is how I fight my battles. 
feel free anytime in the next week at 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. to come on up here. I think we only have right now 10 uh, hours that have not been claimed by at least one person. But whether it's one person or 100 people up here praying, we just want there to at least always be one. So if you want to sign up for one of those unclaimed hours, uh, the paper is there in the lobby on your way out the door. Uh, Alan did reference, I think most of them are at like 2 a.m., but that's just for somebody special in here. Um, also, uh, you can find these journals on your way out the door. And, and one thing I want to say, there's a group of folks that are wanting to launch or relaunch for us, uh, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is a, is a ministry of freedom, of helping people in their hurts, habits, and hang-ups find the freedom and wholeness in Christ. And it's a, a beautiful, powerful recovery ministry. If that is something that uh, is resonating with you, something that you would want to engage in to help lead or be a part of, um, I'm going to ask Don to just be up here uh, in the front uh, after church, and you can come have a conversation with him about that. They're wanting to get that uh, off the ground here in the next uh, little while. So just want to make sure you knew about that. But for now, as we go into our watch week, as we begin our Daniel fast together, yes, the other part of, uh, of prayer, worship, and fasting is worship. So Wednesday, we will be back here at 6 o'clock for a worship night. And we'll be doing that all three weeks of the Daniel Fast. Wednesdays at 6 o'clock. So bring your family, bring some friends, and we're just going to come and spend a little bit of time worshiping together as a church. So that's this Wednesday. So I put, invite you to put a hand over your heart or out in a posture of receiving. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord of lords and the King of kings who reigns over everything in heaven and on earth, who sees you, who knows you, who calls you by name and leads you forward. May he open the eyes of your heart that you could see him more clearly, that you would know the inheritance that you have in the saints and the power that is at work within you, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. May he cut off from you that anything that is entangling you. May he restore in you anything that is lacking. May he awaken in you anything that has fallen asleep. And may you stand up into the fullness of Christ as sons and daughters of the Most High King. And may you go forward and love the way that you have first been loved. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed.